Acts chapter 16, verses uh, 6 to 10 this morning. And when, went, when they went through the region of Phrygia and Galatia, having been forbidden by the Holy Spirit to speak the word in Asia, and when they had come up to Mysia, they attempted to go into Bithynia, but the Spirit of Jesus did not allow them. So, passing by Mysia, they went down to Troas. And a vision appeared to Paul in the night. A man of Macedonia was standing there, urging him and saying, Come, come over to Macedonia and help us. And when Paul had seen the vision, immediately Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. Father, thank you again for the opportunity that we have to look at your word and to consider your word. It's a considerable task to stand up and to profess to help people understand your word. And so I pray that you'll help, Father, as I speak, to speak truthfully and to speak carefully and to speak helpfully in a way that um, we learn from your word and it enables us to live for you this week. I thank you for the guidance that you give us, for the help that you provide us, um, for the wisdom that you instill in us. And um, so may we speak the words that uh, bring glory to your name. Thank you for this book. Thank you for ears to hear. Would you take our hearts, Father, and shape them? Would you take our wills and form them? Would you take our minds and transform them? By your word we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. It's amazing in our lives how something that seems to us insignificant can turn out to have a massive impact. It might be a chance lunch meeting that you have with an individual and out of that you set up a business meeting and out of that you set up a business plan and out of that you create a product and out of that you um, are able to help a lot of people. That just comes from a chance meeting. You didn't know that, that was that's what would come from that meeting, but God in his providence grew it into something that you would have never expected. In the same way, we have this group of, um, uh, uh, this little missions team that has been brought together and they're just about preaching the gospel. That's what's on their heart. They just want to tell people about Jesus. And so they just will go wherever their feet will take them, wherever there's an open door, wherever there's a synagogue that will let them in, and they will preach the gospel. And I think if you were to ask Paul at this time if he understood the significance of what he was about to undertake, he'd probably say, I really don't have a clue what you're talking about. I just want to preach the gospel. But what we have in this passage now is the beginning of Paul's second missionary journey. And it's the beginning of the gospel as it spreads now into Europe. And this is a real turning point in the history of the world, in fact, is what takes place here in 2000, some 2,000 years ago. Because of the vision that Paul received from God and his subsequent obedience to it, the gospel went westward. And for hundreds of years to come, until just recently, Europe has had a significant impact on the spread of the gospel around the world. This was the initiation, if you would like, of that impact around the world. In the next few weeks, we're going to focus on Paul's time in Macedonia and uh, the missionary work that they, uh, that they were able to accomplish there. And there's three cities that we'll look at. Um, two of them have uh, letters in the Bible that have been written to them. One is Philippi, to which we have the book of Philippians. The, the other two are Thessalonians, First and Second Thessalonians. And then they also went into Berea. Macedonia is a city that was located, Macedonia is a part of northern Greece, sorry, and it was bordered by the Illyria and the Nestos rivers, 
And it had become a world power under Philip of Macedon and then a little later by his son Alexander the Great, four centuries earlier. It was made a Roman province in 168 B.C. The Romans didn't much care for the Macedonians, though. They considered them to be barbarians. And so it was to this group of people that Paul and his little mission team are being called to. Well, I wonder how it is they arrived in Europe. It wasn't their intention to go there. Paul had set out from Antioch to Syria and Cilicia. And from there he had gone to Lystra and to Iconium. And they had gone through that region after that through Phrygia and Galatia. And they were passing on the good news of the letter that they had received from the Jerusalem council about the fact that salvation is by grace alone. And one didn't have to add anything to that. That through faith in Jesus Christ, one was saved. And so they were taking that good news from town to town and city to city strengthening the church and the result was the church was growing in numbers and so they just considered this a great opportunity to keep ministering the word of God and so they thought well let's just keep going in Asia and the fact the cities that they wanted to go to were some of the cities that we find in the book of Revelations chapter 2 and 3 and the the letters to those seven churches and they had wanted to take the gospel there they thought well they need to hear the gospel as well but as we come to this text we find something remarkable happening that God stops in their tracks and reorients their direction, changes the uh, the geography, if you would, for them. It's an amazing passage of Scripture which shows the Trinity at work. Uh, for those of you who wonder what the Trinity is, well, the Trinity is our understanding of God. God has revealed Himself as one essence in three persons in the Bible. We have God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. It's a difficult doctrine to understand, and yet it's a critical doctrine that is woven through the text. And so we have the Holy Spirit um, forbidding them to go into a certain place. We have the Spirit of Jesus that restrained them from going into a place. And then it says, and God had called them to preach the gospel. And so we see each member of the Trinity at work in the spread of the gospel into Europe. We see divine guidance at work here. And as they were ready to go into Asia and start talking to these uh, various people about the gospel, all of a sudden we read in verse 9 something rather extraordinary, that they were forbidden by the Holy Spirit to speak the word in Asia. At first glance, that really caught me off guard. Because in my understanding, everyone needs the gospel. In my understanding, we are to take the gospel to the ends of the earth. In my understanding, everyone needs to be saved. And the way one is saved is through the word of God. And faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. So it caught me off guard initially to hear that they were forbidden by the Holy Spirit to preach the word of God. That meant that some people would not be hearing about salvation. That meant that some people wouldn't know about the good news that comes to us through the gospel about Jesus Christ. That knew that some people wouldn't be coming into the family of God. As I thought and wrestled with that a little bit farther, and we'll address that a little bit later, I was thinking about Galatians chapter 4, verses 4 to 5, and some of us might say, well, why didn't Christ come a thousand years earlier than he did? Well, because as Galatians tells us, and Paul writes there, he says, when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son. I don't understand the way of God that has he works in a person's heart, but I know that there were various marks or places in my life at which time I wasn't ready to hear the gospel, where I was rebelling against God. And even though God sent somebody across my path, I just refused their, um, their, their desire to share the gospel with me. And it wasn't until a certain point that I was finally ready through the Spirit of God, to respond to the Word of God. And so we have this red light, though. We have this sort of stop sign put up by the Holy Spirit. And we'll come to that a little bit later.
But what also sort of um, flew around in my mind here is the fact that they were forbidden by the Holy Spirit. Now, some people who are maybe a lot smarter than I and have more brains than I would say, okay, well, just leave it at that, Paul, and keep going. But I just want to know, well, how? How did the Holy Spirit forbid them? How did the Holy Spirit stop them in their tracks so they knew that they were supposed to go um, north instead of west? I want to know how the Spirit leads. I want to understand how the Spirit directs me and how He directs a congregation. But we find here that no reason is given. And that's sometimes how it is in life. I think one of the frustrating things that I um, experienced growing up as a kid, and maybe that's why I ask questions like this, and my parents were wonderful, but they, uh, when, it, when it came to sort of issues that I wanted to know uh, um, why I couldn't do something or why I couldn't go somewhere, or why I couldn't hang out with my friends, Often the answer would be, well, just because. Well, just because would just drive me insane. And so it's created in me this desire to know. I want to know the because. And so we come here and we read, well, the Holy Spirit forbid them. And I want to know, well, how did he do that? And we have here an example of negative guidance. We have here an example of God closing the door. And so as we think about this, uh, you, you read the different commentators and some will just skip right over the passage and and just kind of go on to the next thing. I was talking to my dad on the phone last night, and he was saying to me, so Paul, what are you preaching on tomorrow? And I told him, and I told him what I was wrestling with. And he said, well, you know, sometimes the best thing to do is just skip over it. <laughs> I'm not going to take my dad's advice today. Um, some of them, though, they, they, they tried to answer it without answering it. And, I, and I, that's essentially what I'm going to do. But they would say, well, we're just not told. It could have been, though, through an inward oppression that the apostles or this little missionary band um, received. It could be an outward circumstance that they were going one way and uh, a bridge was down and so they had to go another way. Uh, Maybe it was an opposition that they faced in one particular city that they thought, well, this isn't wise for us to keep going in this direction. Maybe it was a prophetic word because remember they had Silas with them who was a prophet. And so it could have been any number of ways, but the Bible just doesn't tell us how the Holy Spirit stopped them from going any farther. But we do know, do we not, loved ones, that the Bible tells us that the Holy Spirit leads us and directs us. The Holy Spirit guides us. The Holy Spirit speaks to us. The Holy Spirit teaches us. The Holy Spirit brings to mind things that we have learned and things that we have studied and things that we understand. The Holy Spirit is actively engaged and involved in leading us as individuals and as a church in the direction that we should go. I want to focus really on one phrase and, uh, that we find in the Scripture, and there are many that we could, have, uh, we could talk about, but certainly one phrase is, is that they were led by the Holy Spirit. We find that in a few places in the New Testament. In Romans chapter 8, 14, Paul writes this, For all who are led of the Spirit are sons of God. And then a little later in the book of uh, Galatians, he writes, But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. And I think the first thing, for us to remember about a passage like that is we are not talking here about some sort of esoteric leading by the Spirit. We're not talking here about some kind of ecstatic leading by the Spirit. We are talking here about how the Spirit leads us in the paths of righteousness. We are talking about here how the Spirit leads us to know right from wrong. And in fact, there's a direct connection here with the Old Testament and Psalm 23 where we talk about the Lord is our shepherd. And what does he do? He leads us in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. That is, I think, what those two passages are 
are, are really dealing about that when we are led by the Spirit, we are led in paths of righteousness. We are led in things that are pleasing to God as opposed to things that are displeasing to God. And as a follower of Jesus Christ, we have not been given over to sin and to lawlessness, but rather to a life that is to imitate that of Christ Jesus. And so when we read there that Paul says we are to be led by the Spirit, it's a specific reference to the fact that we are to be led by the Spirit in paths of righteousness, in holiness, and in godliness. And so sometimes the Spirit clearly leads us by right and wrong. And that sets the course for a decision that we might have to make. There's another reference, though, which uh, we find twice in Matthew chapter 4 and in Luke chapter 4, referring to the same experience in Jesus' life. And it said, Then Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. I come across that at least twice a year in my normal reading, in my scripture passage, and it confuses me. Because I think, well, why in the world would the Holy Spirit lead me to be tempted? And I think it's probably, uh, uh, um, it's just like the Lord's Prayer, lead me not into temptation. There's a play on the word temptation there. And I think we could safely say that the Spirit, uh, Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tested. We could say tested by God and tempted by the devil. But I still think, well, why would the Spirit lead me there? And then I think, well, that's good news because when I face temptation, I'm not by myself. The Spirit is with me. But then I think, well, how did the Spirit lead Jesus? Did he grab him by the hand and say, let's go. We're heading out into the desert for a little while. Like, what did he do? How did he get him there? Did he speak to him? I'm not entirely sure, but I do know that Jesus was full of prayer. Jesus was constantly in prayer, and this preceded uh, uh, his baptism. Uh, we read in the, in the scriptures often that the Spirit speaks to us during or after a time of prayer. Uh, we find the Spirit speaking audibly at times. Uh, we, we find audible words recorded in scripture. For instance, we find that um, uh, it says in Acts that the Spirit said to Philip, go over and join this chariot. You might remember the story. There was an Ethiopian that had come to Jerusalem. And he was in Jerusalem for a period of time. And then he bought a scroll, Isaiah 53 scroll, and he was riding back to Ethiopia. And he didn't understand what he was reading. And God in his providence wanted him to understand. And so it says, the Spirit spoke to Philip. Now, I don't know what he said to Philip. I don't know if, if Philip was kind of going about his, his deal. And then he just kind of heard this voice. Whatever it was, the Spirit spoke to him. Audibly or internally. Another place, we read that, um, uh, that Peter was pondering a vision. He was praying. God had revealed something to him, and he, he didn't quite understand it, so he was praying. He was trying to work it out, and it says very clearly in Acts that the Spirit said to him, Behold, three men are looking for you. And so, as he was in prayer, as he was considering what he should do, the Spirit of God spoke to him. Again, whether that was an audible voice or an internal voice, we don't know, but we do know that the Spirit clearly communicated to him. Another time it says, while the church was worshiping together and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work that I have communi- that I have called them to. So loved ones, I don't understand it all, but I do know that there are times when the Spirit speaks to us. When the Spirit um, gives us guidance as we are praying, as we are worshiping, as we are meditating on the Word of God, the Spirit leads and directs us by a still small voice. I suspect sometimes, too, 
that we are more able to determine the Spirit's leading when we look back on event as opposed to in the time that we're actually walking in that event. I think there are times when we're in the present, and it's been my experience that sometimes we're, we're in the present and, and we're just guided by circumstances. We're guided by, by our, our reading of the Scripture. We're guided as we pray and we think, well, we should do this and we think that we should do that and we have a clear impression that is this way and that way and we don't really think of it much other than that's what directs us. But then maybe a month later or six months later or a year later, we look back and we say, oh, clearly that was the Spirit of God that was leading and directing and guiding me. He leads us as we walk in righteousness. He leads us through circumstances. He leads us as other people talk to us. He leads us directly. He leads us indirectly. He leads us as we are immersed in scriptures. But we can sometimes look back and say, yes, the Spirit led me. I think one of the things that I just want you to be aware of as a congregation is that if you're struggling to know what to do, if you're struggling to know where to go, know that God leads us. Know that God guides us. I don't always know how he does, but I know that he does. And one of the things that strikes me as well as I thought about this passage, and uh, I've been reading Genesis again in my, in my devotional time, and I'm struck by the fact that God has not just created this world and then let it alone. You read the book of Genesis, and what you find is God is intimately involved in his world. He comes down and he walks with people. He comes down and he talks to people. He punishes this. He, he rewards that. He's intimately involved in the lives of the people that he has created. And so that's the same today. He's no different today. And God is still intimately involved in our lives. And we need to be open to that. We need to pray, God, I need your help. God, I need to hear you. God, you need to speak to me. God, you need to guide me. God, you need to lead me because I don't know what to do in this circumstance. And so while I can't give a specific answer as to how the Holy Spirit forbade them, I can tell you that I believe clearly that they knew it was God telling them not to go this way or that way because some of the things that I've mentioned through text uh, or through the scripture. And so the Lord was, or the door was closed to them to Asia. And so they were sitting there thinking, okay, well, we can't go to Asia. Let's go north. Let's head north. So they packed their bags, they put on their walking shoes, and they headed up north. And the very next thing that we read, it says they were prevented by the Spirit of Jesus from going into Bithynia. Wow, a second closed door. Here's another example of negative guidance, another closed door. They attempted to go into Bithynia, but the Spirit of Jesus did not allow them. Some of us would have given up after the first door closed. Many more of us would have given up after the second door closed. And we said, oh, I guess God's not telling me to go there. But here we have an example of their persistence as they seek God's will. And it says here now that it was the spirit of Jesus that prevented them. And again, my mind, I just want to know, well, what's going on here? Because I want to know, I want to be aware of how God leads me. And so it says here that the spirit of Jesus led them. Well, who is this? Well, again, I, I think it's the it's the the spirit of Jesus, which is which which we are filled with through the Holy Spirit in our lives. And it's the spirit of Jesus that is guiding them and directing them through the Holy Spirit that lives in them. And when we become followers of Jesus, we become full of the Holy Spirit. And it's something, though, that we are continuing to seek. It says in Ephesians that we are to be filled with the Holy Spirit in a present con, uh, in a present tense. So it's something that's ongoing in our lives. And in Philippians one nineteen. 
in a context of rivalry where, where Paul is, 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 is in prison for his faith and he's got people outside the prison that are, that are preaching the gospel to embarrass him or to make him look bad. He says, what then? He says, only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed. And in that I rejoice. Yes, I will rejoice for I know that through your prayers and the help or the support of the spirit of Jesus, this will turn out for my deliverance. What Paul is saying here is it really doesn't matter whether I live or die. What matters is that the spirit of Jesus um, that's working in me glorifies Christ. And if I can be glorified in dying, I want that to happen. If I can be glorified in living, I want that to happen. And so he's praying for the spirit to be supplied to him. What's he praying? I think he's praying again for the fullness of the spirit to be in him, to dwell in him. And I think as people, that should be a prayer for us as individuals, and that should be a prayer for our church. God, would you continue to fill us with the Spirit? Would you continue to help us walk with the support or the help of the Holy Spirit in our lives? And when he says it's the Spirit of Jesus, I reflect, and I go ahead to Galatians chapter 2, when Paul writes, when we become a Christian, he says, it's no longer I who live, but it's Christ who lives in me. And the life that I live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself up for me. And so again, I think what we are learning here and what we're seeing here is the disciples are trying to discern the will of God in their life and the direction that God would have them. They're saying that they just listen to the Spirit who dwells in them. And they're attuned to the Spirit as he leads them and as he guides them. And their whole plan in life is that God would be glorified whether they go north or whether they go west or whether they go east. And so here we have then two examples of negative guidance. But they are examples that God does lead us as his people. And I say most often we don't like closed doors. We can find this frustrating. We head in one direction and it's closed. We head in another direction and it's closed. And the problem with that or the danger is that is sometimes we get angry or we get impatient. And I use this carefully. I was trying to think of a, an example and I, I couldn't think of an example. So don't be offended by this example. But sometimes I wonder if the guidance of God is not like uh, if we're like one of those steel balls in a Plinko machine. You know what a Plinko machine is? There's sort of a, a vertical machine that you, it deposits steel balls at the top and it drops down and it bounces off pegs that are in the board and it makes its way down into stuff at the bottom. And where it lands, you can win something. I'm not saying go out and gamble. What, I, what I'm saying is trying to illustrate that sometimes God's guidance is like getting Plinko'd. You know, you, you bash into this peg and it doesn't work. And so you, you bash into that peg and it doesn't work. And you, but you keep making progress because you're going down. That, that's not maybe a, that's not maybe the best. You, you know what I mean? You're going down to the goal. But in other words, you keep moving even though you don't exactly know where you're going to end up. And sometimes that's the way God leads us. And so we, when you don't know where to go, don't just sit down and give up. Keep moving. Keep saying, God, will you close that door? I'll try this door. And God, will you close? Okay, I'll try this door. And keep allowing God to, to move you. Now, there are times when, when no is the answer. And we ought to know, and, and God, I think, shows us that. For instance, Paul, when he's praying about deliverance um, uh, for himself and for this pain that's in him, and finally God says, no, my grace is sufficient for you. Stop praying. You're not going to be healed. So sometimes negative guidance is the end of the road. But it doesn't mean always that we stop. And so we come here and we, you know, I want to come back to that first point that I made about 
um, you know, why this time? Why did they not get to spread the gospel to Asia and into Bithynia? Well, there is this reality that in the fullness of time, God will open doors in places. And as I think about the gospel reaching into Asia and reaching up to Bithynia, we find that only some 30, 40, 50 years later, that stuff is just exploding in these places. It just didn't happen through this little missionary team of Paul. In, in Asia, for instance, we find that at the end of their second missionary journey, they do make their way back over the Aegean Sea into Ephesus. And Paul is able to stop there at Ephesus, and they would later come back, and they would spend more than two years in Ephesus. And it says there's a summary of what took place in Acts chapter 19, where it says that all the Jews and Greeks who lived in the province of Asia heard the word of the Lord. In the fullness of time, God will open the door in his time and in his way. What about Bithynia? Well, we find Bithynia, um, uh, Peter refers to it in his first, uh, uh, first letter that he writes. And as he writes, he, he, he writes acknowledging that there's already an established group of believers now in this, in, this, in this place of Bithynia. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who are elect exiles of the dispersion. In other words, as they were scattered because of persecution, believers started fanning out all over the place. And he says, in Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia. God had a different means of getting the gospel there. It wasn't through this little missionary team, but it was through people who were scattered because of persecution. And then there's another uh, real important reference, I think, or helpful reference, a historical reference about the Christian community that was in Bithynia. We have some letters, and they're called the Epistles of Pliny. It's a book of letters by a Roman lawyer uh, uh, whose name was Pliny, uh, to the Emperor Trajan, who was uh, in Rome at that time. And we have letter 96 and 97, which is a, a, um, a record of their correspondence together. And it's for the church, it's one of the most fascinating um, secular uh, examples of the church and what was going on. And this is about 55 years after we read what's going on here in the book of Acts. And letter 96 is a description. Pliny, uh, he's in this province, and he's, he's confronted with Christians, and he doesn't know what to do with them. And he's confronted with their worship and he describes their worship. And it's not unlike what we worship like today. But he describes their worship and he's writing back to the, to the emperor and he's saying, I need help in order to deal with this group of Christians. He's, he's, uh, he's never, uh, he's unfamiliar with what they need to do to handle them. And so he's got this group of Christians and he writes, and I just want to read a little bit. He says, in the meanwhile, the method I have observed towards those who have been denounced to me as Christians is this. In other words, um, Christianity still wasn't accepted. If you're found to be a Christian, you're reported to the authorities. So he says this, I interrogate them whether they were Christians. If they confessed it, I repeated the question twice again, adding a threat of capital punishment. If they still persevered, I ordered them to be executed. And then he goes on and he describes how they would gather together worship and they would sing a hymn or two and they would talk. And then he says, and he describes the Lord's table and how they, how they celebrated the, the, the Lord's death. And then he says, and I still didn't do it, know enough about this little sect. So I tortured two of their female slaves in an attempt to find out more about their practices. And then he writes, and I quote, I therefore adjourned the proceedings and betook myself at once of your counsel. For the matter seemed to me well worth referring to you, especially considered the numbers involved. 
Persons of all ranks and ages of both sexes are and will be involved in the prosecution. For this contagious superstition is not confined to the cities only, but is spread through the villages and rural districts. And then it's like he catches himself and he's, he's saying, shoot, I shouldn't have said that. It seems possible, however, to check it and cure it. But so we say, well, why didn't this little missionary team get there? Because God had other plans. And in 50 years, the spread of Christianity in the province of Bithynia is described as a contagion that needs to be checked. So, loved ones, I don't know why God closed the door to Paul and this missionary team. But it didn't mean that the people of Asia and Bithynia would not hear the gospel. As we look back, we realize the incredible gains the gospel made by going to Macedonia. Christianity would capture the hearts and minds of not just Jews, nor of Asians, but now also of those in Macedonia. And in fact, some of the most important churches in in Paul's ministry were established in this region. Bruce Milne wrote, looking still farther ahead to bear witness in Macedonia was to bury the living seed of the gospel in the future continent of Europe. I love that, to bury the living seed of the gospel in the future continent of Europe. The global region which would become the first Christian continent and for many centuries thereafter the primary base of the missionary outreach to the rest of the world. We see in here the seeds of our coming to faith planted 2,000 years ago. So we have two circumstances of negative guidance, and then we come to the third one, a vision in the night. Verse 9, And a vision appeared to Paul in the night. A man of Macedonia was standing there, urging them and saying, Come over to Macedonia and help us. So they finally arrived at this seaport of Troas. I'm sure they were tired and unsure of what was next. They had covered a lot of ground to get here, Uh, a, a ton of ground to get there, but it would be here at Troas that God would direct them through this vision. He wanted them to go west, not north. He was leading them away from Asia into Europe. It's amazing, you know, when, uh, I guess this is when you, when you get minds that want to know answers. There are so, there, there are a couple just bizarre attempts to describe who this Macedonian man was. And I think, why do you need to describe it? It just simply says a Macedonian man appeared. He probably looked like a Greek, and I don't know if he was dressed like a Macedonian. So Paul knew he was. You don't need to kind of go into all manner of descriptions to try and give some historical reality to who this guy was. It was a vision. Come on. The Macedonian man. So clearly it's a vision from God. Direct communication from God. I want to I just rewind for a moment here. We've looked at three ways that God leads and guides us, but I want us to look at a pile more very, very quickly. And in just this is just the first 15 chapters of Acts to what we've covered this far. We have different ways that God guides. For instance, Jesus speaks directly to individuals. And so we find Jesus speaking to a small band of disciples, telling them to wait in Jerusalem. We have Jesus appearing to Paul on the road to Damascus, telling him what he is about and what he is calling him to. We have the witness of Scripture as the disciples gathered around the Scripture. As they read the Scripture, seeking to discern the will of God and the direction of God, God leads them and guides them. We have them finding as they're, 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 they're wanting to replace um, one of the apostles. And so they're praying and they're casting lots. And God guided through the casting of lots. Now, I'm not suggesting that on Wednesday night when we have the AGM 
and we're not sure about which deacons to elect, that we get a bunch of lots and we throw them on the floor. But God directs through means that we don't always understand. It was certainly a way that they looked for direction back in those days. Sometimes he directs through miraculous intervention. An angel might appear, and we find this in a few places in the new in, in Acts chapter 1 to 15, that an angel appears and gives very clear direction about what individuals are to do. Often, or a few times, we find them, for instance, the, the, we have the widows. We have the Greek widows and the Jewish widows. They couldn't get along with each other, and they were not happy about how food was being distributed. So how was God's will discerned? Well, they prayed. They selected a bunch of men that uh, were full of the Spirit of God, and they solved the problem. And so God directed as they prayed and as they wrestled through an issue. Sometimes it's the Spirit of the Lord. We already looked at this. The Spirit said to Philip, get up and go talk to that Ethiopian. We have a Christian leader, Ananias, who has spoken to in a vision. And he said, you need to go and talk to Paul, who has just become one of my followers. We have an escape strategy that, that, that is God's will to uh, freeing Paul from the city. Remember, he was in the city and they wanted to kill him. And so there was a hole in the wall and they let him down in a basket and he got off. Well, the circumstances of the hole in the wall were the way that God led and directed Paul to safety. There was a medical emergency. You might remember Dorcas. Dorcas was a, a woman in Joppa who was well known for good deeds and she up and died one day, as we're all going to do. But she up and died too early for their liking. And so they said, you need to go get Peter and Peter's going to come and Peter's going to do something. So what did Peter do? He prayed and raised her from the dead. God's guidance was through a medical emergency as he got Peter to come into Joppa. We have visions. There's, there's three or four visions in Acts chapter 115 as God reveals direction to his people through a vision that he gives them. Sometimes it comes through a prophetic message. Sometimes it comes through an opportunity to speak the good word. Sometimes it comes in consultation with others. And so I, I say all of these things just to say this to you. Sometimes the biggest mistake that we make in looking for God's guidance, and this is what many people do, is to imagine that God's will for our lives is always going to be communicated to us in precisely the same way. In truth, I don't believe there's any one method by which God guides his people. There's a variety of ways in which God uses to guide and direct us uh, to fulfill his purposes for our life. And so here, Paul received a vision. It's a vision in the night. Sometimes we read of visions that come at four in the morning, or nine in the morning. Sometimes we read about visions that come at 12 at noon. This one happened to come at night. And it's a, it's a clear impression. It's a clear revelation of God. A clear um, understanding of what he needs to do. I've got a, a book on my shelf, um, um, Something Persia. Uh, I just finished reading it about a year ago. It's a very easy read, but it's about four conversions of uh, men and women in Iran. And in every single one of those conversions, there is a vision that starts the ball rolling that eventually leads them to Christ. God still communicates and directs and guides and leads through vision. And so Paul received this vision. And it was a vision of a man calling them to come help them. Extraordinary when you think about it. Macedonian was this great, great um, uh, uh, province. There we had sort of the seedbed of philosophy, the seedbed of democracy, the seedbed of drama and poetry, history, science, mathematics. In every single way, it seems that 
Greece was this amazingly sophisticated, amazingly had-it-all-together kind of place. And yet spiritually they were destitute. And it was this vision that revealed to them the, the complete and utter lostness of the people in Macedonia. And as they had a vision of this man, it was a man who was saying, we need your help. In other words, we need the gospel. In other words, we need Christ because we're lost. It's not this, is this not the same as our world today? You know, I look around and, and sometimes I get caught up in this. We have a great heritage in Canada. We, have, we are the recipients of incredible medical knowledge. We are the recipients of incredible cultural knowledge. We are, the, we are the recipients of incredible wealth. We live lifestyles that vast majority of the world only dreams about living. We have pleasures and experiences that are, that are available to us and our families on vacations or, or, or excursions even on the island that, that people just don't have open to them. And yet we live in a time and a place that amidst all of that, there is incredible spiritual ignorance. There is incredible spiritual loss. People are without hope. They are without direction. They are without Christ in their lives. We, just like the Macedonians, are not aware of our spiritual need. And so just as the gospel needed to go to Macedonia, the gospel needs to go to Vancouver Island. Come over and help us. When they have this vision together, again, this is guidance. You, you notice that, that you see in this text that Paul didn't just say, I've had the vision, let's go. It clearly tells that there was consultation. It says, immediately we sought to go into Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel there. In other words, when Paul received the vision, he quickly gathered this band of people around him. He said, listen, this is what I think God is impressing upon me. This is how I think God is leading me. Let's talk about it. Let's pray about this. And as they pulled their wisdom together, as they considered what God had revealed to Paul, they said, yes, that's from God. Let's go get him. And I think sometimes that we need to be more willing to share what we believe God is wanting us to do and where God might be leading us to get the confirmation of those around us. So as we think about this, then we have the two, the two closed doors and the one open door. Sometimes that's how God leads in our life. Sometimes that's how God directs us. He shuts down one thing and he opens another thing. We're going to hear about that uh, in our children's ministry even on Wednesday. We know that Barbara last year had, a, had sort of a, a real understanding of where she wanted to go with the kids' ministry. And as she prayed and worked through that, knocked on doors, and uh, uh, so to speak, that those doors kept closing. Well, God has shifted the focus in the direction of where they want to go now with kids' ministry. And it's kind of like this, closed door, closed door. It seems like an open door now. And we'll get to hear how God is leading in our kids' ministry. But as we wrap it up then, just some last concluding thoughts. Sometimes the best guidance comes from mixed signals. Don't give up just when you get a a closed door. Don't give up when you get a second closed door. Sometimes God leads and guides us through negative and positive. This is where discernment and this is where Christian friends and this is where discussion is so helpful. Sometimes decisions happen over time. Be patient. I don't understand... um, why God didn't just say to this little missionary group, go to Macedonia. Probably would have saved them about 300 miles of walking and a whole bunch of time. But you know, God sometimes needs to do a work in our hearts and lives. And sometimes part of our learning is in the journey. 
Do you know when the people of Israel were, fleed, were freed from Egypt, it was, it was a very short jaunt for them to go from Egypt into Canaan. But one of the reasons it says that God delayed them or took them by the long route is because they weren't ready for war. They needed to be toughened up. Sometimes we need to be toughened up. Sometimes we need to learn stuff. Sometimes we need to be prepared before we can do what God is actually calling us to do. And so sometimes decisions happen over time. Be patient. And then thirdly, sometimes the best decisions are made with others. I think one of the wisest things an individual can do is to consult with other people. I think that's where we get shaped. That's where we get formed. That's where we get help. That's where we get honed a little bit. We talk to people who we know know Christ and know God and are attuned to his voice. So then as we wrap it up, Christ continues to guide his church today. We must not lose sight of why God was leading them into Macedonia. He was leading them into Macedonia because the Macedonians need to hear the gospel of Jesus Christ. They needed help. They had life by the tail, but they were in real spiritual peril. They needed help. God was sending a spiritual rescue party to those who were suffocating under the weight of sin. They needed help. I was thinking a Macedonian man could well have been a British Columbian man. He could have well been a Parksvillian man. We too need help. The Bible says we have all lost our way. We all like sheep have gone astray. The Bible says we are all under a fatal curse. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. The Bible tells us we are all in a battle against God by nature. We are children of wrath. What will free us from that wrath? What will deliver us from the curse of sin? What will free us from the weight of our guilt? It's Jesus Christ. It's knowing that Jesus Christ has died for us and in his death, our sins are dealt with. In his blood, our sins are washed away. In his resurrection, we too gain life. That is the message that our community needs. That is the message that we need to hear amongst ourselves even this morning. May God open our hearts to hear the good news of the gospel in the midst of our plenty and the midst of our privilege.